It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um... Occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Seats. Neil Bullen off to Petrarca. First touch of the turbo. He didn't waste it either. He loads it up from 50 and kicks the finest goal yet. Outside of the right boot, Langdon. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, indeed. How did he do that from there, Langdon? <laughs> Look at that goal yeah. That's where it ends. Melbourne will leave Friday night footy unbeaten. And Essendon have the long road to hope. They start the season at 0 and 3. Melbourne over the Bombers by 29 points. It was very similar to last year in terms of how we're playing. Um, we're not blowing teams away. We're playing pretty ruthless sort of brand of footy around contest and defence. And... Um, we're able to grind teams down by the end, so we're really happy with how our game's progressing. We've still got a lot of improvement left in us in terms of how we're playing, but we're playing the right way, and um, hopefully that brand will stand up in time. Melbourne condemns Essendon to their worst start to a season since 1967. The Bombers curbed the Petrarca problem to a degree, only to be taken to the cleaners by Clayton Oliver. Tonight was a, a good example of what we're capable of against a pretty dour Sydney team who uh, have been impressive. So we'll, we'll bank the four points, but we'll feel pretty good about beating um, a Sydney Swans team who who were going to make it really difficult for a lot of teams this year. No, I didn't like it. That just felt like it was it, it was too much, um, and it was it was too far a disadvantage for one team. You know, I think if we really sort of look at it with a clean set of eyes, um, it just that that didn't feel right. Uh, I actually feel very comfortable with this. The rules are clear. We know there's going to be these... these everyone's going to have their turn where they feel it. Um, yeah, it's a really tough burden. But I was pretty proud and amazed. And you know, I think everyone thought that West Coast did a hell of a job last week. And we'll debate footy's burning issues as Jeff Kennett's role in the sad departure of Cyril Rioli from Hawthorne is finally laid bare. This is the round three edition of Crunch Time. They should have trusted the showdown with a national stage on a Friday night. It does not disappoint, regardless of where they are on the ladder. A frenzied finish, a remarkable final deed, and so much to discuss as we convene for crunch time. It's brought to you by the Isuzu. D-Max is born to live. Dermot Brereton keeps the portfolio on kicking on this program. <laughs> Dermot, it's good to see you. How are you going? What an extraordinary end of that match. I went to bed half-time thought, oh, I'll get up and watch the package tomorrow morning and it'll be the same margin at the final sign as it was at half-time. I can't see anything changing too greatly given the skill set of, uh, of the Adelaide Crows. I thought I'd have a peek at my phone just to see what the margin was at, you know, the one o'clock time I went to bed. And I went, oh, I have to get up and watch <laughs> <Yep>. the second half. <laughs> and I did. What an extraordinary turnaround. They had, they had no right to win that, and they did. Describe the Dawson kick for us. 
He kicked it out of the instep. He didn't hit it flush. But when you kick the ball, you know, a centimetre, half a centimetre to your instep and you lay it a little flatter, getting technical here with the kicking, it will bend from the inside of your kicking leg to the outside, similar to a Lance Franklin uh, long-range kick. And it took a desperately late turn right at the end. I thought, oh, he's hit that thin. How is that? It is, it is, it is, it is. It was an amazing end to a night which probably didn't have, didn't have us on the edge of our seats for all that many times during the evening. I admire all of the callers in this instance because I would have given it the Tony Gregg. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the old Phil Gibbs from the, the VFA days. He's kicked that off the side. It's a goal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a remarkable end. Brenton Sanderson knows these showdowns. Hello to you, Sando. Yeah, thanks, Jared. The showdowns are incredible. And exactly what you said, Jared, it doesn't matter the form where each side sits on the ladder. It's an incredible build-up during the showdown week in Adelaide, and there's so much to play for. You know, regardless of the four points, there's the pride of the state. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Port Adelaide boys won't wake up very well this morning, and Ken Hinckley will be fuming to start the season 0-3, but Mm. to lose to Adelaide, who haven't been in great form, this is a side that's in a serious rebuild, and Port should be contending. They should be... um, they shouldn't be 0-3, put it that way. And to, to get beaten by the Crows, it's going to be a long, long few days for the Port Adelaide Footy Club. Just the sequence at the end. So player gets clobbered yep. in a just a wild sort of way right at the death. Can't take his kick. Jordan Dawson is on the ball. So there's there's no sleight of hand here. He legitimately is Johnny on the spot. He crumbed it, didn't he? Yeah. 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 He picked up the crumbs. Yep. There was another player equal distance apart, but the ball went to Dawson, so that is legitimate that yep. he was the next kicker. And I've reviewed that. When I saw him with the ball in his hands, there, I went, oh, he's come from somewhere to get that. So he's such a the good, same thing. So yeah. I reviewed yep, and same. rewound and went, no, it's him. It's yep. actually him. He was Johnny on the spot, ready and correct. You're right about the kick too, Dan. That, that was never going in off, off the boot. And even Nix refers to it in his press conference that the footy gods were looking after him. It's almost like the <laughs> ball was was pushed from some source through the goals. And it was an incredible finish. And obviously... Do you believe in the footy gods? I do. 100%. I still do. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I mean, every... Every coach that coached me um, referred to them. Yeah. I actually referred to them when I was coaching. And I've, I've been on the wrong end of a, of, a, of a bad bounce of a showdown loss when I was coaching Adelaide um, at Footy Park. And it's it, it almost as, as Nick's referred to, the footy gods were on their side last night. Yeah, yeah so Ken Hinckley's waking up this morning and, what did I ever do to the footy <laughs> gods? <laughs> Sam Edmund completes Sam our quartet. Hello to you, Sam. Good morning, Jared. Um, Sando, great to be here. So Jordan Dawson was oh. already a fascinating figure in the tension, the eternal tension between the Crows and Port. Indeed. There's a juicy irony, isn't there, in a player deciding a showdown. There was a showdown in the trade period. Both clubs were after the same player. He chose Adelaide. He grew up a Crows supporter, of course. So they lost twice, Port Adelaide, in the end. The player that they so desperately wanted ended up joining their, their crosstown rival, and he sinks them with a, with with one that broke that the late Shane Warren would have been proud of, I reckon. Mm. The bend on it was unbelievable. So we traded cricket analogies this morning, didn't we, from what we've yes. seen. It always swings under lights in Adelaide. <laughs> and then you saw the perfect one for last night's Petrarca and Oliver. Couldn't go past the old saying, I think it was ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If Lily doesn't get you, Tom, Tom must. So, yeah. Christian, you just sit this one out. 
Clary will take over from here. Amazing performance from Clayton Oliver. So much for us to work through on crunch time. So Matthew Nix is going to join us in a little more than 10 minutes time. So what are we to make of it in totality? It's a disaster for Port Adelaide. Yeah. Zero three is, it is an important marker. All it does is emphasise how poorly they're playing. Well, you've got to win 13 out of 19 to make the finals. For a team which was assuming they were going to win 15 or 16 for the, the season to finish top four. Winning 15 or 16 out of 19, that for a team that is not playing and well and needs to find form, that is an enormous mountain to climb. The thing that struck me looking at that game last night, yeah, they need a Leary. They need another high-reaching defender. Yeah, they need Charlie Dixon. That, they're going to improve that team dramatically once they come in. But what staggered me is Port Adelaide, who don't move the ball all that well, Adelaide Crows, who seriously do not move the ball all that well from defence to to forward attacking scoring range, Port Adelaide are deplorable at stopping ball movement. They actually allowed Adelaide to look like a reasonable team uh, the way they move the ball forward. There are so the very good teams right now. If you go stop pause when you got a down the ground shot, you can see. The very good teams, midfield, goal side of their opponent. A, to stop them getting to a position where they can receive. And B, so they don't run right and run their own patterns through the, the field. Rarely does Port Adelaide's midfield get goal side of their opposing players. And, they, and so they dictate where the ball's going if there is the slightest bit of time and space. So they're not a shadow of the team that's made two preliminary finals in a row. No, they're not, Jared. And unfortunately, with their game style, and Derm, Derm's right, they commit so much on their forward half pressure and uh, press. So whenever they kick the ball into their forward line, all their defenders, all their midfielders push so f- uh, hard forward to lock the ball into that front half. And they still had you know, 15 or 16 forward 50 tackles last night. Their pressure in their front half was good, but it was the carbon copy of the week before against Hawthorne. As soon as the Crows did get a rebound, they had so much time and space in their forward line to be able to run and burst into. And that's Space when, is the real one, isn't it? That's when yeah. Port looked, looked really uh, poor last night. And there were some serious momentum swings in this game as well. You know, Port would kick three or four goals in a row, you know, get a nice little buffer, a 20-point margin, and then Crows would kick the next three or four. So it was, it was one of those games where, where Port just pressed so hard forward to be able to lock the ball in their front half. But as soon as the, the Crows broke that first line... They were out. They were out and they looked good. And they they need to learn and review the last couple of weeks because the same thing happened against them the previous week against Hawthorne. What was the free kick for? I know it was paid for high, but when you go back and have a look at it, he actually doesn't get him high at all, Jared. It was there, mate. paid for sheer crudity. Well, the umpire pays high. That's technically the freak. I oh, know it was clumsy. Can you pay it for crudity? I don't know. It, it looked like rough play. It, it looked robust. And it was a swinging arm. It, it didn't but tackle it wasn't him. a punch. It was like, I'm going to belt you with the inside of my forearm to yeah. your torso, and hopefully it knocks you down, and therefore I can just slump on you, tackle you, hold the ball in, we gobble up some time. There is a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction in our sport at the moment for, that looks bad, it's got to be a free kick. It ain't a free kick. Yeah. Do you think it's not? So the swinging arm coming into a contest... No, I don't. my gut yeah. feeling is that's a free kick but every what's time. The char- but what's the chart? Well, I imagine what, that's rough conduct. 
But he hasn't tackled him without the ball. He hasn't got him high. Okay, he swung an arm in a crude fashion. Could he? For, could he forcefully. argue? Forcefully, but, but you can bump of, somebody forcefully yeah, and if they've got the ball, and as long as you don't hit the head within five, you metres. can really do some damage yeah. on them. That's I think, forceful. I don't think an umpire is holding the whistle, seeing that in real time, because I don't think that's a natural action. I, 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 I must say, yeah, I, I called a game last night and then watched another game and didn't see a single act that looked like yeah. that. If you approach a contest in that manner, you're going to give mm. away a free well, kick. Well, it's My pure God, we've got some grey areas in our game, yeah, yeah. don't we? I mean, Gloriously I looked at so. it and went, oh, that's that's robust. And was it wrong? He was perfectly positioned to the umpire. Perfectly. At first, I thought he might have been blindsided because when from our angle, it did look high. It wasn't until you saw it from the umpire's angle that it that it wasn't. But he was perfectly positioned. We've got a new interpretation too, just as an adjunct. Forever and a day, and we went, I went right through juniors. Forget my senior footy. You get the ball, and the 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 tackler holds the ball with two hands to your belly, and you pull your hands away and go, "I've tried to get rid of it. Look, my hands are free. He's the one holding it in." Now that is bad luck. You haven't made an attempt. Isn't the tackler participant in in illegally holding the ball? I didn't know that rule interpretation had changed. So we've got all these new interpretations which we haven't been told about. So I, I think that falls under you have to make a legitimate attempt to get rid of the ball. But if you have, and releasing you can't. the ball and putting your arms out is not a legitimate attempt at disposing yeah. the ball. And that's I actually, understand that, that's that. straight out dropping the ball if if the other bloke's not holding it to you. Yeah, but you've tried to get it, and he holds it, and you go, well, I can't do any more, mate. <laughs> How did the Crows win? That The four goals from the halfway mark of the final term when it really looked settled. It, it looked like, I agree with that, it looked like it was going to be a three to four goal margin all night, and we weren't going to be glowing about Port Adelaide this morning. Uh, and then somehow or another, the Crows sort of just pegged them back and beat them. Well, even then, Port Adelaide, with that, that set shot from Boak, I mean, Boak really... You know where they're they're in front by a point. He kicks the goal. It was a, it was a gettable set shot. They're up by seven points with ninety seconds to go. Or whatever. Once again, Port probably should win that game. But I think the story for me on the night was the um, was the key forwards, the young the young key forwards for the Crows. So so Gallant kicks four. Um, Himmelberg was very good early and very good late. Um, kicked the first two goals for the game for the Crows. Uh, really really got them away to a fast start, but. Um, he was excellent with that sort of two and a half minutes to go to get them back within a couple of points. Um, so for me, the eight goals between that were shared between Gallant and Himmelberg, I think, um, and you mentioned it, Dem, about Aaliyah. Um, we saw um, Sam Skinner go off in his second or third game with an injury. They had to make a sub late, uh, Port Adelaide. So they really are missing some key defensive uh, play there. And also, too, Marshall was great, five goals for Port, but... They really do need Dixon back as well. He he does straighten them up, Port Adelaide. And I actually thought it, it was one of those games where clearance was so important to scoring for for two teams that don't transfer the ball with all that much alacrity and 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 great linkage through the middle of the ground. Clearance goals were at a paramount. And in the final few minutes, it just seems to be, even if they weren't pure clearances, they were scrimmages and they were scrap-ups. They were pseudo-clearances that got the ball going. Well, I think Adelaide's it was. Way. I think, Dem, it was scores from stoppage that kept the Crows in it at halftime. Mm. It, 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 the, the margin would have been bigger if the Crows weren't able to score from stoppage. And then, you know, the game opened up in the second half, and the Crows were able to move the ball with a bit more fluency, and they looked a bit better when they took the game on. When the, a little so, better, well, not hugely, not better. hugely yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those, and you know, supporters and and us in the media will say every time when a side feels like 
they can't quite win. Like, yeah. And the Crows were in that, that period. It's almost like just the shackles are off and let's go for it. Why don't they play like that from the start? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let's try and win the game from the start, you know. so well, If I can actually say that, isn't it amazing? I thought the first two rounds we had teams that were saying new coaches, new philosophy, and just slightly – well, similar to previous seasons, let's roll the ball forward. Let's run onto it. Let's get it into space. Let's try and score. And suddenly you had a very good team, backs to the wall, who said, let's just stop the opposition. Let's go back to what we know. And that was the doggies on Thursday night. And I thought, oh, here we go. There's another one at the MCG. They're copying the doggies now because they think, you know, we've got to keep them out of it. And then the halftime of the, the Crows Porter going, oh, right, we've shut down again already. We're game three in round three and we've, we're all shutting down already. And yet, as you say... Once they go, it's like the Kieran race. Is it the Kieran where they do the, the, the three laps on the bike at the velodrome? Yep. And then with one lap to go, one makes a break for it. That's three-quarter time, that final lap. And I then they're it. off and they just roll it all forward and see how we play. So last one before Matty Nix joins us, Sando. You've lived the experience. What's it like in Adelaide when Mark Rusciuto has his say during a week and – it feels from the outside like it undermines the coach and it likely offends the players. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because uh, Mark Rusciuto is the football director. He sits on the board and, I mean, ultimately he makes, you know, most of the decisions at the Adelaide Football Club and he has a role in the media. He's, um, he's very passionate about the Crows, obviously. He's a superstar player, um, you know, former premiership player. So you can't help but absorb information that goes public which ultimately you would prefer to be private. Um, but that's that's just the way that it is in Adelaide and that's the way that it's been for a long time and um, you just get on with it, unfortunately. But, yeah, you, you would prefer those conversations to be private um, and I'm sure Matty Nix will, would agree with that. So would Mark be, when that happened, would he be apologetic toward the coach or that's just the way life rolls in Adelaide? It's just the way the life rolls, yeah. It's just the way that it is and – it's not like it's, I mean, it's just, as I said, it's, it's part and parcel of, of being involved with the Adelaide Football Club. And it's, I mean, all the stories in Adelaide are about the Crows and, and Port Adelaide. You won't hear a lot about Collingwood and Hawthorne and Essendon. I mean, you do, but it's, it's probably 80 to 90% of uh, football stories that week is around those two clubs. And, um, and yeah, um, Rue has a responsibility to, to be able to report on, on stories from the Adelaide Crows, but he he's is he, the is the the football director. So that sometimes you'd prefer that those conversations were private, but ultimately they're they're uh, public, which is fine. That's that's just the way it is in Adelaide. It's a loaded crunch time this morning. Matthew Nix is about to join us, the Crows coach, after those astounding events at the end last night. This is crunch time. I imagine he's been spent the morning praying at the altar of the footy gods. The Adelaide Crows coach, Matthew Nix, is with us on Crunch Time. Matty, congratulations and welcome. Thanks, guys. I'll try not to have my voice too bad. We didn't party that much, I promise. We, uh, <laughs> but it's been, yeah, it's been a, been a big night. What a great night. Off the boots, what did you think? <laughs> I'd already packed my computer up and I was, I was walking down. It was, um, yeah, off the boot, it was a bit of a boomerang, but... He's, uh, look, if you were to choose anyone to have the shot, uh, he's probably one that you'd pick. So uh, we had faith. We had, a, we had a pretty good chat at three-quarter time as a group and sort of smiled amongst ourselves and said, that, look, this one feels like it's ours. We've done all the work and 
I don't know. You just there's those sort of moments where you where you just feel like it's going to go your way, and that was one of them. Even though it did look like he's going out before when he first kicked it. So can you describe how much emotion is wound up in that moment? So you, you laugh beforehand because what's what will be will be, but is there a surge of adrenaline inside you as it all unfolds? Oh, I think so. I try to hide it. Um, yeah, I, it, I, you can't explain it. I, and I, I can imagine there are 40,000 of our supporters there that felt the same. Um, but you, you, you're helpless at that point. You're standing there watching and you're just enjoying what is a, a good spectacle. It was a Friday night. Blockbuster is two teams that were struggling on the season. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the game looked like because I haven't watched it back yet. But live, sitting there, it was just a good spectacle. It was a great game to watch. Um, and then that moment, uh, the emotion is incredible. We had we had similar in round one in Frio. Yeah, we had a shot and pretty much on the other one and we spoiled back and you know, the others. We're just going to shake around there and see if we can firm up that line, Matty, because uh, it's just a bit shaky and we don't want to miss the good stuff. Mm. Jordan Dawson, you remember there was one millimetre in it earlier in the match when he kicked from range and it was touched just on the back of the line. And it was only the padding on the post that saved uh, uh, the Port Adelaide team from mm. it being a goal against them. I mean, the, the ruling is it is the plane of what the chalk of the line is and it has to clear that. But the padding on the post is considered part of the goal. So, yeah, that was they were stiffed there as well. So they were owed one of those kicks. So, Matthew, we've got you back. J- just run us through the sequence of events. Um, Lockie Murphy gets clobbered. It probably looks worse than it is, but his history with his neck, the concern mm. there, who's going to take the kick? Is it in good hands? Is, how chaotic is that 90 seconds? <laughs> Up in the box or just on the ground? In the box, we were. you can, you can imagine us, Upstairs as a coaching group, we we know who we would like to take that kick, and our, our first thought was was Murph. Um, you know, we were really concerned with, with how Murph was hit, and he was lying on the ground. This is a kid who's come through surgery, and you know, an operation on his spine, and so that was the first concern. But but then when the doctors had gone out and he was able to walk off, it was really just a frantic. Who can stand around next to Murph while he's no good on the ground, <laughs> and. And we're probably, to be honest, as, as you know, all our players know, we're, we're kind of uh, amped up about who that should be. Uh, and Dawson was hanging around. Josh Rosselli, I would, I would love to have the ball in his hands as well. You know, even though he's a first-year player, he, he would have loved that, um, I guess, that stage. But, yeah, to have Dawson there, we couldn't have been more pleased. He was, um, he's a pretty good set shot for goal. And is Lockie Murphy OK this morning? Yeah, he is. Look, Murph's OK. And it was... It was it was a really interesting one because it was a real stinger. So speaking to him afterwards, he was he himself he was really concerned, and it was probably one of the first really good hits he's taken um, since coming back. Um, so for him, uh, you know, straight away in the rooms afterwards, he was we were chatting, he was smiling, he was feeling good. So that was a really good sign. We'll, we'll see how he pulls up today and over the next couple of days. But you know, we're fingers crossed that, that, that he's going to be okay. Nixie Sando here. Congratulations. I've I've sat in your shoes. Tell us about how good a showdown win is. Well, that, that's my first one, Sando, and I've, I've been on the other side of it. So if you do a comparison, it's you know, chalk and cheese. But, uh, I mean, to be able to walk out on the ground and celebrate with, with your people, with your staff and your players, and just see the smiles on the faces. But 
I don't know what the crowd wants in the end. I apologize, I was 40 plus, but yeah, it's an incredible, incredible atmosphere. It's, um, it's a city where it's one of the most amazing rivalries, and I've been lucky enough to sit on both sides of as well. But, but sitting in that, the head coaching seat's a little bit different, as you know. It's kind of hot. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the night. I just loved seeing how people enjoy themselves. Now, well done, Nick. It was an incredible game, and obviously super impressed with your key forwards last night. Lockie Gallant kicks four, Himmelberg kicks four, so eight goals between your tools. Um, what does that mean now for your structure going forward? Well, there's, there's, there's a bit of a challenge coming because the tech is ready. He's, um, you know, he has trained harder than I've seen anyone, and, and he is our he's our best forward. He's a he's our on-field leader. Um, so, you know, our plans were to try and get him into that side as soon as possible. We we probably looked at the mix we had ahead of the ball prior to this game, and we've, we've been struggling in that area. Um, and we needed to add a little bit more experience to what was a really, really young forward line. We did that last night with Murphy. I mean, and when I say experience, we added 60 games. That's, that's all Murph's play. But that for our forward line, that's, that's a lot of experience. Um so to have him come in, he just helps straighten them up and, and get them organised ahead of the ball. Um, I, I don't know whether he was a different, whether he lifted Himmelberg, whether he lifted Lockie Gallant by, by having him set up in the right spots or not. But it was so good to see those guys, I guess, respond because there's been so much criticism over the last last week or two around you know our tools. Um, and, and it has, it's been justified in a way. It's, you know, we haven't performed. So I was just pleased for them that they were able to yeah, put a, put a performance out there that they'd be proud of when they walked off the ground. So is Tex Walker ready to play, Matthew? Is it possible you would pick him in round four in the AFL team? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I've, we, we've had a lot of talks through. The, the issue we have is we he hasn't played any footy. So not being able to do any practice matches. There, there is a match fitness that you just can't get other than playing matches. Um, but... I've watched him train, and I think he's, he's, he's been doing everything he can to make a statement here. I think he's really disappointed that he hasn't been able to play, as we all are. Um, and so I just haven't seen anyone train like he has. His lungs have burnt. He's worked so hard. Um, what he gives to us from a lead, on-field leadership point of view is invaluable as well. So we're, we're going to have a look at that. Um, it's great. What, what a great challenge for us now is to you know, be looking at selection and and, and struggling to take someone out. That's where you want to be. We had a we had a performance at SAFL level that we're really proud of. The, the guys back there had a you know really good hit out. We've got guys stepping up that want to play at the higher level. And this is you know this is what brings success is when your entire group of 44 are playing good footy. Matty, one of the things he does do, he, he kicks the ball through the goals like like very few key forwards ever have. So he's got that up his sleeve at the very least. Well done on last night. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the mentors or the people in the box who keep you going because there were times I was watching during last night and, and my feel for the game, it almost got to a point where I was feeling... Oh, it's going against them. Free kick in the middle, that's bad enough. Oh, Schonberg runs too close to the man on the mark, a 50 metre, a goal, another 50 metre. Uh, it's almost a fader complete. What is it like for you in your infancy still in as a senior coach? Who drives you? Who says to you, keep up, keep it up, keep going, keep hammering away at these boys? Yeah, it's a really good uh, observation or a good question because I – 
I had a, a couple of moments in the game, if I'm honest, where you know, even after the first quarter, I, w- I was quite emotional early. Um, and if, I think a lot of coaches would say they've been in that position. I was writing every single decision. I was, uh, you know, I was finding a way to blame umpires, and I, I'd lost my way a little bit in the first quarter. But I was straightened up by by some, you know, our experienced guys in the box. Scotty Burns, he's, he's an incredible guy to have alongside. Um, but in saying that, you know, Nathan Verbello's had experience in footy as well. Even though we are a younger coaching group, you know, some would say that we've got a really good balance in there, a really good mix of. Uh, you know, they, they can tell me when I, I need to pipe down a little. Um, there's no issue there. I'm not going to bite anyone's head off. Um, but, at, yeah, at quarter time, I, you know, even Adam, Adam Kelly, he's our head of footy, he, he does a lot of work with me around my emotion and, and trying to stay calm, trying to stay blue-head in, in those key moments. And we did that. I thought even at three-quarter time, we were talking about what our messaging was going to be. Um, and we went down with just a message around trust, which was 100% exactly what we felt. And that was really off the back of the group getting together. And it was just, boys, we trust you. Trust yourselves and enjoy. And um, and they did. And tell us about the way your midfield played. I mean, you, you went down slightly on clearance numbers, yet you were able to make clearances a real score source for, you, for your team. Yeah, we're really pleased with our midfield. We probably felt at, at quarter time we... You know, we weren't really getting it done. I thought Matty Crouch had a, a slow start, a slow first quarter, and we asked him for a response, and he, and he gave us exactly that, which is what he's done in the past. He's, he's incredible the way he steps up. Um, you know, what he lacks in speed, he just makes up for in the way he goes about it in around the footy. Um, yeah, but we, we were going to bring a fight. That was what we wanted to bring. We we, we know they're a very good side. Um, they, you know, they haven't obviously played their best footy of late, but we knew they'd bounce back after last week and we knew it would start in that midfield area. So we changed a couple of things. It, it wasn't really going our way early and we felt like stoppage was hurting us. And so we just mixed a couple of little things up and I guess try to stir the pot in there a little and that, that worked for us. That worked for us going through the second and third quarter. And, and then it was really just, I guess, the bounce of the ball towards the end. You know, did we get the luck? Well, you'd say we did at times. I think I, I heard you speaking before about there were a few decisions we felt maybe the goal line won and a few things like that that didn't quite go our way. Well, eventually they did, which was great. Mm. We, we, nobody really plays man-on-man hardcore these days, unless we get an unusual tag. But for the time that they were against each other, how did you see Keys v. Boak? <laughs> it's funny you guys say Keys v. Boak because it wasn't actually Keys v. Boak. But we, we went... Um, yeah, we went after a few guys. We we felt that they had a, they've got a number of guys. Well, they've got a lot of guys to play at then. We we felt there were a couple of guys who we really had to have a good look at. Um, Houston was one of them, and Boat was the other one. But we didn't go with the keys. Um, no, he stood next to him what, a few times, and that's who I, I'm getting my initial read from that. That's a, they hardly yeah, play man on man. Yeah. No, it's a fair call. We, we talked about that being a you know a t- all team in uh, to get that done, but we. Um, we said Harry Schoenberg, you know, gave him the job on the night and said, look, we're all going to help Harry. And then we did a couple other things around Houston, which we were really pleased with where the group and how they got that done, you know, were able to change the way they played in that space. And, and we're going to have to be that team going forward because we love it. Our, our young guys love that sort of thing. They enjoy a job. They're still learning the game, a lot of our mids, um, you know, and even around that, our high half forwards, high half backs, they're, they're 
they're still feeling the game out and learning from experiences. So sometimes giving them a role, giving them a job on really strong players who find the ball, it actually gets them around the game. It, it's less less about thinking how to get the ball and more about just doing your, you know, playing your role. So that was a real positive for us last night. Lockie Scholl, probably not many will know, but Lockie Scholl was an incredible role that he played uh, in around Houston. Matthew, Sam Edmund here. Congrats on the win. I wanted to ask you about Mark Rusciuto's comments during the week. Now, I know you said on Thursday you weren't surprised and that obviously everyone at the club was on the same page. But as we know, he's a big presence in the city, obviously at the club as well. And anything he says creates attention and news. Would, with the hat that you wear, would you prefer that he not make them so publicly, those comments? Well, I, I won't make a comment around that either because it's not really an area of concern for me. We, we are all on the same page this Probably my presses during the week were all about. I, I talk with our, our all our key stakeholders, so all the exec. Um, I, I talk to everyone, and we're on the same page about where we're at. We're in a we're in a rebuild at the moment. We're we're working with a really really young squad. Um, there are challenges that come with that. Now we, you know, you talk internally. We were having conversations about what wasn't going right in our game, and what wasn't going right in our game. There was a lot of it. And what it ends up looking like on a footy field is you can't kick and you can't handle. And we had that conversation in the playing group. We're not executing by hand and foot. And the reason we're not doing that is because it's, it's not because we can't. It's because we're not doing a lot of other areas. We're not playing our role here. We're not in the right position there. You know, we're not, uh, our mindset's in the wrong space. We're playing offense. We're, we're playing best case scenario footy. And you know, we knew we could change that in a week. We, we know that that, you know, that mindset and ability to play your role is, is not something that takes a long time to change. We, we've trained it too too much for us not to be able to flick the switch. So, so we did that in six days. You know, we turned it around, and that's really what I, I spoke to the media about all week. I said, you know, be careful to write people off. Be careful to judge individuals. You know, we're on the same page as a footy club, and we know we've got to be better. And we were able to do that in six days. Now we've got another challenge now to get up and do it again, and, and not stray back to the wrong side again. Did Mark have a conversation with you? Did he tell you that he'd made these comments publicly? Did you hear them? Did you seek him out? What was the dynamic like between the two of you? Yeah, as I said, guys, I speak to everyone. I speak to every single stakeholder. Tim Silvers and I talk regularly. Mark Rusciuto and I talk regularly. Every one of our board members, I've got a great relationship with our board. That's why we are where we're at. We all know we're on the same page and we're working through it. Matty, congratulations on last night. Well done. Well done. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Well, Matthew Nix, the Adelaide Crows coach after a thrilling victory in the showdown. 39,190 were there. I'm, I must say how times have changed. We, we, we often marvel at that. When Lockie Murphy went down, I remember Alan Jeans, when Russell Morris went down once, he just said, just push him to the side a bit and don't get in the way of the run-up for the bloke that takes the shot at golf. It was like just, yeah, next, move the move the carcass to the left a bit <laughs> and the next bloke coming in, don't impede his run-up and shot at goal. And it didn't matter who it was, it was all about the next possession. That's the showdown, the events at the MCG last night. Where does it leave the Bombers at zero and three as they didn't quite stack up, although they came consistently at the benchmark, they couldn't quite last long enough. We'll explore that next on Crunch Time, brought to you by the Isuzu D-Max is Born to Live. We've taken some positives out of the last three weeks. You know, they all haven't been great blistering performances, but I think the last three weeks has given us a really nice template for us for the rest of the season. We saw some good evidence to the, tonight 
to suggest that some of that stuff's good enough against the top teams, um, but we just got to continue to work on our ability to do it for longer. Zero and three is a rough place to be. That's where Essendon finds itself this Saturday after, well, they were gallant for portions of last night and they just couldn't quite go the distance with Melbourne. Historically, it's a hard position to come from and they just don't quite look good enough for the time being. Dermot Burton, Britton Sanderson, your thoughts out of last night? There's basic criteria we apply to statistics, and I'm, you know, I'm not a huge statistical man, but I'll refer to them on occasion. But we, we look at inside fifties, giving your your team a chance to score. If you're low forties, you probably should lose the game. If you're in the thirties, you should have no hope. Bombers got thirty nine last night, and they still had a glimmer of hope on occasions. Uh, in the third quarter. Um, yeah, so, look, uh, Peter Wright is performing really, really well, and it's amazing because we've had a big sample size to look at Peter Wright over his journey. And this is arguably the best he's played. But because the sample size is so big, we're kind of looking at it and saying, well, when does it fall apart? And, and if so, what happens to them then? I mean, Stringer's their best score avenue to score, and he's a hybrid midfielder who pushes forward. So they, they, they need some of those young blokes at Jones to come back in. They need to get time into some of their young key forwards. Uh, yeah, there's some other areas of their game that they need to address as well. But if you can't score, you can't win. Well, I think, Derm, and, and I'd, I'd love your opinion on this, I think when the Bombers the... – for me, the Bombers thrive when they live off the opposition's shallow inside 50. So what the Bombers will do defensively is they'll flood all their numbers to sort of high half back. They'll force you to kick the ball shallow inside your own forward line. And that sets up that outnumber run and punch game, that sort of transition fast game, which the Bombers we've seen over the last two or three seasons, that's when they've been at their best. But if you can slow them down and if you can force them into a kick mark slower type of style, it doesn't seem like they've got the ability to be able to win those games. So for moments last night, they looked great. So they kicked again, and this this might be Melbourne a bit as well, because Melbourne are then again allowed six out of seven goals. There was a there was a patch there where Essendon looked fantastic. And then it looked like Melbourne found another gear again. You know, Melbourne have got that ability to be able to go up a gear and the Bombers just couldn't go with them. I agree with you about right. So four goals last night, very good. Saw him play in round one though, and I thought he struggled a little bit. So, mm. but he's he's, he's had two, he's had two good weeks. But first half last week, he was fantastic. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 a lot to ask of a of a young man, and I know Stringer is is important to that forward line as well. But I don't know. It just feels to me like their midfield are not really clicking, and I know they lost merit, merit but yeah. um, it feels like their midfield is not quite where it needs to be at the moment. They got smashed again at contested ball last night, and then uncontested ball they got beat too. So. They're not winning at the contest and they're not winning outside of the contest. And they're relying on one sort of game plan, which is that 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 uh, that slingshot from halfback. When they can't get that, um, I'm not sure where they're turning to next. And and the teams who are playing them are deciding, whoever gets Redmond, we take him deep. Because Redmond is really good at that. And he's such a stunning kick when he gets six or seven paces, when he's allowed six or seven steps before he kicks. He's a thumping kick. But you give him one or two steps on the full back line to kick the ball and hit a target. He's turned it over a few times. So teams are saying, and some players are like that. Historically, we've seen 
hey, if you get him at the half-forward line, just go and play in front of the goal square. Just make him think he's under a bit more pressure than he is. And Redmond might be one of those players. He's turned it over from the full-back line, but kicks it beautifully from the half-back line. Um, the thing I loved about them last night, and that's what we're, fingers crossed, hoping that they can come together as a unit, I am a massive rap for Dylan Shield. His ability to put distance between himself and the scrimmage, the, the, the stoppage, and then deliver. His kicking hasn't been ideal over the journey, but when he gets it right, it's, it's terribly right. And his ability to break lines in that type of style, I thought he was fantastic last night at dragging the ball away from the, from the centre bounce. There's one thing I do want to be followed up with this week. I'm looking forward to his next press conference, Ben Rutten, because I'm sure the question gets asked. There's a, there was something grey in those comments and uh, after the game. He said, we've got a nice template to work with um, after three rounds. So there's 0-3 um, and it's going to be very difficult for them to make finals now. So the follow-up question for me is, what, what is nice about the template? What, 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 is, what have you liked about the first three weeks? Because for me, there's still too many questions to be answered about how the Bombers are playing. So don't invent a crisis. They have lost to three teams that I think we all would feel like they're behind, yep. Geelong, Brisbane and Melbourne. And their next three are teams that notionally we would feel they are in front of. They have Adelaide, Fremantle and Collingwood. So I think the stay positive is based on the they should pick off the next three and square the ledger unless they fall into the 0-3, we wipe you. Mm. Well, I said during the week, Jared, that you can have three losses during a season at any point. You can go on a three-game losing streak and still make finals. That's that's no problem at all. The challenge is when you start the season 0-3 because then almost nothing can go wrong now for the Bombers. They have to make sure that everything goes to plan now. They can't have those another three-game losing streak at some point during the season. They have to get on a roll, and it has to start next week. Yeah, it's a, it's a big run chase, three for none, isn't it? Mm, that's right. Yeah, so. every, goal, every goal reviewed, isn't it? That's what we're told. Yep. So As they're Christ, going back. Yeah. When Christian Petraka kicks that goal, yep. and it's touched by James Stewart, and he tells us it's touched multiple times, are we okay with that ball going back to the middle? And well, you, I, I don't on? think you could definitively see on the, the shot that they put up straight away that they were examining. We didn't get much of a look at it. So James Stewart straight away, signals touched. Christian Betracker tells his teammates it's touched, tells the umpire it's touched. Did he actually tell the umpire, Sam? Did he yeah. actually go to the umpire? Because I, looked, he looked I at wasn't the sure when I saw that. It was a little yeah. bit like um, uh, Adam Gilchrist when he you know, he used to walk when he umpire would say not out and he'd just walk off the field. Mm. And I'm not sure if we've had a precedence of that where a, no. a player has gone to an umpire and say, hey, listen, that was a goal, but um, I, you know, the player – Obviously, you smothered it, and it should be it should be a point. Looked like That's he looked in the, the umpire's direction to say it was touched. Well, that's how I took it anyway. But if, thankfully, if it wasn't a close game. That, as part of the process, if the umpire then says, "Christian, is that serious?" and if he says, "Yeah," isn't part of the process. The umpire goes, "Touched." Mm. That's such or, or, a good question, Dem. Yeah, that that is such a good question. It's up to the umpire. If he thinks it's touched, I he calls touch. I don't think that's part of our game. So it is in cricket, but I don't think it is part mm. of the process. Yeah. Well, people like Christian Petrarchi, you know, he's he's a bull and he'll hurt you and he'll run over the top of you. But if, he, if it's something that he thinks is just insanely incorrect, he's going to say, yeah, that got touched. <laughs> I would think it's incumbent on the umpire to say, yeah, I believe it's touched because he told me. <laughs> There's not a lot of time. If they found it inconclusive, which we assume they did, they came to that 
decision pretty quickly. I think probably on that one replay mm. that was fleetingly there, should, should they have paused and actually done the formal Well, is there scope to do that? Is yeah. there scope to just say, hang on for 30 yeah. seconds, we need to have another look at this? Um, I don't think there is. With the advertising yeah. aspects of, of football and the, how the ball goes back to the centre. But thankfully, as it, I said. So do you think, Sam, if the time had been taken, they would have overturned it? Oh, well, I'd, you'd like to look at it a bit more thoroughly than what yeah. we got at home. Um, that's for sure. You would have had... It would be nice to have a couple more looks at it. What are we to make of Melbourne? So we mentioned at the outset, it wasn't Petrarca, it was Oliver, Oliver last night. Yeah, and Melbourne Melbourne still, for me, was super impressive. And it, I just, oh, this is, um, it's going to sound like I'm not rating Essendon, but I felt like any every time they got challenged that Melbourne just went up a gear. I just felt like they, they just had them where they wanted them and at the right times they just hit the turbo button and away they went again and, Yes, Petraka didn't have his best night, but then Oliver stands up. They've just got such great depth. And I thought at three-quarter time, when the game was in the balance, it just felt like Melbourne were going to outwork them again. And they're so fit. They just get across the ground so well. And what did they win by? 24, 26 points. It probably feels it feels like that. that's how far they are ahead of the Bombers. Wiedemann, seven shots at goal. Does he hold his place? His first quarter, I thought... No, this is not Wiedemann. <laughs> Who is this bloke? I thought, these are the best marks he's taken in league footy. And I, now undroppable. So what happens next week? Well, well, you know what the old Australian wicketkeeper adage? <laughs> you, you never you never go out injured. You take the field and you, you've got the spot. You don't want to miss if you're playing for Melbourne at the moment, do you? Um, unless you're somebody with some, uh, you know, holding a position that, uh, uh, you know, 20. Dusty's coming back in to take. Yeah, you should have the spot. Just yeah. a lazy 20 marks marks for Angus Buckets Brayshaw. We can call him Buckets. <laughs> can I? Most marks in a game since Nick Rewell no, 2016. Oh, <laughs> he, he's, he is vital to Wesson, uh, to the Ds, yeah. We're gearing up for all the footy action today. Women's preliminary finals day in the AFLW for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic outdoor. This is crunch time for the Isuzu D-Max is born to live. The round three edition of Crunch Time. We've looked back on Adelaide's thrilling after the siren victory over Port Adelaide. Actually, it should be said, we are in a run of amazing after the siren kicks, Dermot Burr. And I was, as he was lining up last night, I'm thinking, do you know what? Everyone has been able to make this shot, no matter how difficult it's been. <laughs> Robbie Gray and Jack Nunes. Yeah, what's that? We're due a miss. And off the birdie, going, oh, there's the miss. That's it. <laughs> and then, no. Banyuji goes, everybody's <laughs> blessed. And. It's the yeah. mo- I think it is the most un- – separate to if you're barracking for the opposition, it's the most unifying moment in football. We all want it to go through. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Sando, you'll be the same. We've all been at training as league footballers. And training's finished, boys. In you go. You can have a few shots. Where do the players go? They go to the boundary and, and still rings in my ears. Dipper saying, Dippier Domenico. He commentated himself. <laughs> Siren's gone. Five points down. Kicked it. Ah, oh, missed. They, they still do it. Footballers still but do not it. Not even that, Dern. They actually, not in the boundary line, they actually jump over the fence. They go into the car park. They go. <laughs> they make it almost impossible and they still get them. So you know what we should be doing? We should be monitoring these players that sometime in the first quarter when they're 30 metres out on the slightest of angles, we should we should try and get them mentally rehearsing. The final siren's yeah, yeah. gone because we can't kick them any other time of the game. I love it. Who was the last one to miss? 
Was that Harry Taylor missed on a Friday night against the Bulldogs, Correct. I reckon, with oh. 18 blokes on the mark? Well, Gary Gary Rowan had that great kick last year against the yeah. Bulldogs down at Kidinia Park when he kicked after the sign for a win. Go. Isaac Smith. Going back yeah, away. In a prelim. Brad, yeah. In a qualifying final. Was it qualifying? Yeah. yeah. yeah Brad, that, Johnson, gone, Brad Johnson, the great smalling assassin, missed twice, I recall. <laughs> oh, let's, let's don't do that, that Don't, 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 don't shoot like Bambi. It. I know. You're enjoying your Saturday. Crunch time <laughs> is brought to you by the Isuzu D-Max. It's born to <laughs> Sorry, live. Connor. So it's a truncated pr- a crunch time today because we are gearing up for what happens at the MCG and the Adelaide Oval in succession as the AFLW preliminary finals are played. It's uh, Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions and Adelaide and Fremantle back-to-back for Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. So to the issues in the game that have been bubbling away all week, but very particularly today in the age, Sam Edmund, where Caroline Wilson has written a story which has long been whispered behind the scenes and whether the Riolis would ever tell their story of what Jeff Kennett's role was in seeing Cyril Rioli leave Hawthorne. And he has done spectacularly with uh, the support of his wife, Shannon, as well. Um, oh, look, an incredible story. If you haven't read it, uh, make sure you do so. Told by Caroline Wilson. You're right. I think the Launceston Airport incident, if I can call it that, was widely known. But it's the historical stuff for mine that I think points to, if you were of a mind to look at Launceston and think, oh, geez, did is that an overreaction, for lack of a better phrase? Then you've only got to read this to know that rather than being a single incident, this is, in, in the Rioli's world, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And the, and the last in a long line of things they were unhappy with at Hawthorne, going back to 2012, 2013, and the way Cyril was, uh, was treated, the way other Indigenous players, they argue, were treated at the club. So it's enormously brand damaging for Hawthorne, I would have thought. And it, it is enlightening because, like what we've lived through with Eddie Betts, who might be the, love, the most loved footballer since... Cyril Rioli is when they tell their story and how difficult they have found various scenarios around race and around um, the um, the indi- we invite Indigenous players into footy on white man's terms, and I don't think there's enough people within our industry who are from the diverse backgrounds to fully understand why it's troubling and what looks trivial on our terms is deeply affecting. How did you find reading that, Dermot, given that it's your football club and your your love of Cyril? Yeah, well, I think I'm the biggest supporter of Cyril of all time. Uh, I do know that Chance Bateman was an enormous factor at the club. I, I left the board, I think it was 2000 and the start of 2008, uh, so most of these occurrences are happening post then. But I know that Chance Bateman was given a role to coordinate a lot of the Indigenous lads and be the first port of call when they were drafted, um, be the link and the synergy between where they'd come from and what was expected of them. And he was an, an enormous character in that role. The first thing I read of is you, you're trying to understand both sides and I take on board what you've just um so eloquently um, said, and that is on Jeff's side, there's an in- insensitivity. There isn't an, an attempt at humour, which is Jeff. And I, gee, I've been on the end of quite a few of those Jeffrey barbs as well. And, you know, it is intended as humour. And I'm one who can take it as humour because of the colour of my skin. 
there is that insensitivity and then you can look at the other side and say, well, well was, it, was it a real fragility on the other side? But we don't know what fragility exists and how how eggshell thin that might be. So a remark like that, which is mentioned about the torn jeans, and we don't know how deeply that affects. To read it on paper, if you take all those names out of it, so you don't know whether it's delivered from white person, from a, 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 a an Indigenous person, to a white person or to an Indigenous... Take the colour out of it and you'd say, that's a flippant remark. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't hold water with me that it should offend. But given the fragility of the person receiving it because of their their story, their history, where they've come from, then you have to take note and say... Yes, we we need to find a better avenue to actually make sure that this doesn't happen in this light. I I there was I read that and I as I say when I know Jeff, there's no malice in it. I don't believe there's any malice in it. It's an an attempt that you're talking about a man who is probably one of the great insulters of life. The way he went through his his uh, um, uh, political career, he could. He could have grown men crying within minutes. I don't believe there was malice in it. That's the way he is. That's my take on it. Um, so it, it is heartbreaking, is it not, that Cyril Rioli's experience at Hawthorne was a troubled one that we never fully realised? I didn't realise that. Uh, that's the first I've read of it now and understood. There was a time at Hawthorne where people, you know, it's hearsay that, you know, they weren't the most opening to the Indigenous people. I've never known that. I've never seen that. I've never heard anything like that around the football club. So to hear that now, uh, read that in the paper now that the the Riolis had been troubled by a few comments. And gee, could you could you stand here, sit here, read that, and say Alistair Clarkson would have got anything wrong in the Indigenous vernacular? Yet they've cited he got a few things wrong along the way also. So that that's the institutional element to it, isn't it? Is if if football club, if the whole industry. So Collingwood was singled out last year for the report that they commissioned, which detailed all of their shortcomings. And I think there was a general belief that if you did that at most football clubs historically, you would find a fairly similar set of shortcomings. And in fact, you would in most of public life in Australia. So yes. you lay it bare, but. Isn't this the institutional issue? So singularly, I might not be informed enough to deal with it, but as an organisation, we have people within who take the effort to educate and guide us so that when one of your most beautiful footballers come along, he not only has a good experience within your football club, but he doesn't leave the game prematurely and and in his own way a bit heartbroken by yeah. it. Jilted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that is true. You want the best players staying, and not just because they're the best players, but we had an edict at Hawthorne. Anyone who comes through the doors must leave a better person, and clearly Cyril left a little sadder than when he walked through the doors um, from reading this. Actually, I can't even say clearly. From reading this, it would seem that way, but I don't know for sure. I would think the the amount of wonderful times he's had would be will form the rest of the, his life to look back on and say they were achievements very few have yeah. made. But, but, but he's but, also but the been impediment jilted. there that yes. he doesn't want anything to do with Hawthorne at the moment. Like that, that's a really 
So that's how it occurs to him. So for all that was achieved, and as I say, is I think this is really telling that it is one of the most loved figures of our time watching football. Mm. He doesn't want anything to do with When you break up with a lover, you, you, you don't want anything to do with them. He would have loved the club for most of the time he was there. And to leave, not at the behest, but because of the feeling within his partner, which is the driving factor here, um, yeah, that's that's sad to 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 know that that has taken place. Yeah, it, it's a sad state of affairs. Um, and I will say, in defence of the industry, when and we don't understand it all that well still now com- completely because when I read that I said oh, the first thing I thought of was with my Anglo-Saxon background I went oh that's really fragile of her to think that's harmful because it's nothing to do with race it's her linking it to race but then I'm not the eye of the beholder there that's her She's the one feeling that, so I can. You have to understand that. But even when I, to go back to what I was about to say, when Collingwood came out last year, I, I defended them and said they are no more racist and no less racist than any of the other teams that have existed within the VFL slash AFL over a protracted period. Yeah, that's that's what we, how we have organised ourselves, how we have, and it's not. Sheer racism, not direct. We will be racist. We'll tear them down this way. It's the way we have gone about it, and it's incorrect according to the First Nations people. And we need to find a better way of conducting and it. And quickly. So we we are a long way do down quickly? the track. We are a long way down the track with Indigenous involvement in Australian football to yeah, still absolutely. be at this point. And the, it's not the playing aspect. It's what's within the club, and it's what's within. The AFL. I will say that, that I would have thought you could, for our own being, you could place me somewhere and say, don't say the wrong thing racially. You know, and I've grown up in an area which is, you know, we were <laughs> poor kids <laughs> and we were slapped around because of our uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and like that. So we gave it to each other. But you could place me somewhere now, and I would not say anything that was incorrect. I'm educated enough for that. And then when I hear somebody saying, well, I've said the wrong thing, I'm going to go and get education, I'm like, how more educated do you need to be? But obviously, to actually say to somebody, oh, you, you've got th- you, you, your jeans are in threads, I might have a few coins in my pocket, you can go and buy some thread to stitch them together. I first read that and thought, is that, re- is that racist? Clearly, in the in the eye of the beholder of the person of colour, it strikes on race, and it's linked to racism. So we do need to learn. So you can learn. I've I've learnt this morning reading that. Brenton, you're just out of clubland and have been there for well 15 years in the coach's box and playing as well. Just I'm curious, how did that occur to you? Yeah, well, it was it was very difficult for me to read. I felt very uncomfortable, and um, and unfortunately, Dern, when you talked about. Kenneth's remarks, um, when he says there's no malice intended, that's no defence, unfortunately. It's, it's exactly what you said. If, there is, um, if it's taken um, uh, wrongly, then... Um, By the recipient. Yes. Yeah. So, but, Jared, I was obviously at Collingwood with the Do Better report and 
Um, it was it was good. It had to happen because there was too much referred to in the past about you know the Collingwood's history, um, uh, and it was great. The players were thankful that if everything was brought to the surface, and there was. Um, behaviours that had to change and there was also a really clear direction of where the club had to get to to become um, much better at what they were doing. So, um, But in the same breath, can I just say I'm so thankful for the football industry because my education, I'm 48, my generation, I didn't learn anything about Australia's Indigenous history at school. I wasn't taught anything. All of my education and all my understanding of Australia's Indigenous past was from my teammates, were from players that I coached, um, and when for, were from um, players that I was involved with with footy. And I'm so grateful for football for that um, because I've just become so better equipped to understand um, our, our history and our past and how we, how we all need to do better. You might be the right era. And I'm being honest here, in my age, 57, I can recall some of the information we were given as part of the curriculum about Indigenous Australia. I look back at it now, knowing what I know now, it was just patently wrong. That's exactly right, Demi. We were misinformed. We were misled as good little Anglo-Saxon kids and Italian and Greek and all the first immigrant people who came here arrived and worked in the the, the steel mill down at Lysarts down in Frankston were a big melting pot. We were taught about first... And there were no first Australians in the area... Uh, we were taught certain things about them, about the the, the way they came through in the last 30,000 years and uh, uh, filtered through the Australia. We were taught so much has now been debunked. So we have to re-educate. Sam, what, what does it do to Jeff Kennett's position? Well, Hawks think? for Change, which is the, the pretty influential and powerful group that has been campaigning for a long time now to have Jeff Kennett removed as president, have just released a statement saying they are deeply disappointed and concerned by the reports, they say Jeff Kennett's disrespect of the Rioli family is the latest shameful example of why he is not fit to serve as president of our beloved football club. Jeff Kennett, through his actions, has again brought the reputation of the Hawthorne Football Club into disrepute. Goes on to say, thanks to Hawks for Change, Jeff previously agreed to step down by 30th of June 2022. But they say here, Jared, that Hawks for Change now calls on Jeff Kennett to resign immediately and directors of the Hawthorne Football Club must take a stand and seek Jeff's resignation today. When Eddie Maguire realised he had done the wrong thing, he resigned. Under the new leadership of Sam Mitchell, the Hawthorne Football Club is fiercely united on the field. But under the stale leadership of Jeff Kennett, our club is clearly divided off it. Hawthorne themselves have just released a statement also they say racism in all shapes and forms is unacceptable. We are sorry that Cyril and Shannon experienced these incidents during their time at the club. We are saddened that these experiences have left them feeling the way they do. We are committed to reconciliation and ensuring our First Nations players are culturally safe and have a voice that is both listened to and acted upon. At Hawthorne, all of our staff and players deserve to be respected. And they finish by saying, Jared, our doors will always be open to Cyril and Shannon. Yes, and it's how to make them feel comfortable to come back through that door. So I would argue that Hawthorne will now not be complete until they can bring the Riolis back into the fold. Such a famous name in the history of their game, such a profound impact in that era. And this is of their doing, either through ignorance or otherwise. Is And it will clearly take some time to read 
But to read that piece today is to understand that it will clearly take some time. I, we would love Cyril to come back, and that's got to be on his terms when he's ready. If there was a change this afternoon, I don't think Cyril's ready for quite some time still. The Hawks for change, and some of those blokes are ex-teammates, and I love them. They have no answers. They just want change for change. That's, and there's a feeling that there's a personality-driven edge to this. I don't think they have any answers to move the club forward beyond in a better shape than what it is currently doing. Yeah. I'll disagree on that front and say if Ian Silk was president tomorrow, Hawthorne would be in a better place than it is today. Good they, man. They have found the successor. He's a very good man, Ian Silk. I agree with that. But I think Jeff has unfinished business. When I was on the board and we started talking about who was going to succeed um, Ian, uh, Jeff's name came up and I was so concerned Having been on the board with him, having watched on the board, yeah, you get some warts with Jeff Kennett. I think he's been Herculean for this club. That's my take on it, having worked next to him. And that's from somebody who was sceptical early days. He won me with the way he was able to run that club and direct it. Okay, so what else is before us? Uh, ahead of these AFLW preliminary finals and then the, the men's footy, which comes later in the day. Um, is the AFL right to hold to its policy that it put in place coming into the season that regardless of the extent of a COVID outbreak within a team, the games would continue to be played? And Gillen McLaughlin doubled down on that yesterday saying it'll be the same for the finals no matter what. Is no matter what the right policy? Uh, I think it is, to be honest, Jared. I think, um, and you know, the clubs have been given the uh, the COVID list, the obviously the additional top ups, which is not ideal because they're not part of um, your club in the build up to a season and they're training with them and understand the game plan. But unfortunately, this is the new world, and the, the games are going to go ahead and you, you move forward. Um, it's round three this weekend. Next week, it's round four. We've seen the disruption a little bit with AFLW. This weekend should have been the grand final. It's all been pushed back a week because of. Um, the COVID outbreak at Collingwood a few weeks ago. So I, I agree. I think I think the game moves ahead. You have your top-up list. Um, unfortunately, West Coast are the ones that have uh, been disadvantaged, but let's move on. I think when we look back at this, at the conclusion of this season, we'll say, which game had the biggest impediment to their playing list? It'll be round two, West Coast Eagles. I hope you're right. Yeah, well, I, I, I do think that. I don't think you can get more than that, can you? You can sort of take safeguards where how much the the interstate teams, when I say the interstate teams, teams outside West Australia have actually had it so far. And I'm no scientist or epidemiologist, but I think that'll be the most. So if that's your starting point and you continued on and a team got within three goals, I think you're obligated to say this is the way the game will be played out. Who needs a rever? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. Rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. The Giants went past the Suns in 2015, Dermot Brereton. It's time for the Suns to reset the expansion teams this afternoon and go out and beat the Giants. For the equality of the position, uh, they find themselves in the, in the position of the league, yes. Ain't going to happen. They, they, 
No, the, the Giants still have too much quality at their disposal, notwithstanding once again they started off the year with some injuries. So they get, they had a fault last week, so they need to bring in a second string uh, um, Ruckman. So they bring in... Uh, Bruce? Oh, oh, no. The, front, uh, the ex-Collingwood player, the fullback... Uh, Keefe? Yeah, 202 centimetres, so he'll play key position somewhere, releasing into the ruck as well because they had to ruck green last week. The Giants are going all right for what they want at their disposal. The Suns, now this is interesting for me is because I thought they were one lead up or key forward short last week and they would have had a real shot. Corbett should have been in that team. Lacocious is in that team. And I think they're beholden to Jack Lacocious and his manager and don't want to drop him for fear of making bad blood. And then he's got the Adelaide uh, list managers on speed dial. I really get the feeling that they want to make him feel like we love you no matter what. That boy should be dropped. He can't get it, boy, he can't win a contest in the back line. He's, they tried him down there as a, a backline kicker. They've tried him a bit on the wing. He can't run out a match on the wing, so they try him as a third string forward. He can't win the ball forward of the footy. He's a good player in the making, but he ain't there yet. He needs to be re-educated. I, I think they've selected incorrectly here. That's a proper rev up. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. Thanks to you all. AFLW preliminary finals this afternoon. Crunch time has been brought to you by the Isuzu D-Max is born to live. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.